been to three or four different suicide intervention trainings, some, some two hours long, some two days long. And the, the good ones use the, the principle of ambivalence to help people. Arisa and I have talked about ambivalence. And ambivalence is the state of having mixed feelings about someone or something. And we would often think of ambivalence as a bad thing, and often it is, but not always. So if I'm ambivalent about my marriage or my walk with Jesus or whether I want to live or die, well, um, those aren't necessarily good things. However, if someone is ambivalent, if someone's suicidal and they're ambivalent, it means they've not decided. And if you have some, some, some opportunity in their life, you can use that in their favor. So I have um, talked to people who are suicidal, and if they're suicidal and they're talking to me, they're ambivalent. How do you know? Because they're not dead, or they're not out hanging themselves or something. If, if they're talking to me, they're ambivalent, and, and um, otherwise they wouldn't be talking to me. And so what, what we're trained is to leverage that ambivalence in their favor to move them to the life side rather than the death side of the equation. And all people at different times of their lives uh, live with a sense of ambivalence. We all sometimes have ambivalence that we shouldn't have, and there are a lot of different causes of this. But for instance, the fact that nobody in here came to Jesus and it's been a straight line with no jagged ups and downs, nobody in here, and you may think so, but I can assure you it's not true for you, it's, not, it's a straight line of Jesus because it means we sometimes live with ambivalence. We, we want to change, we don't want to change. We, we want to change, we don't want to change. And we tend to see people as they want to change or they don't want to change. But is it that simple? Is it that simple for you personally? It's not for me. I sometimes have ambivalence where I shouldn't. And from now all the way through next year, 2018, we're going to focus on closing the gap between where we are and where we want to be or should be. And this weekend, we're going to, tonight and tomorrow, for, uh, we're going to look at the role of leaders. Ty started addressing that. You and me. And helping people move towards the change side of their ambivalence. And God uses leaders to change, to help people change. And to help people want to change. It is not your responsibility to change anybody. It is your privilege to lead God's people towards God's purposes for their lives to influence them. So let me read uh, a passage to you. It's 1 Peter 4.10. It says, Each one should use whatever gift he's received or she's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should, he should speak, do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. The word various there, um, God's grace in its various forms, is, is manifold. And the word literally means, like if it would be a word picture, it would be a diamond that you turn in the light, and it's showing all the different colors, the beautiful colors. And, and Christ is this pure white light, and he diffuses through us and manifests his, his grace through us. And in this passage, the big manifestations of grace, gifts through us, are speaking and serving gifts, words and actions, and that kind of covers everything. And so the purpose of us serving people is that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And so your leadership for God's people is a grace gift to you for people. And you may not feel like leadership is your gift, 
but it is at least your calling and your opportunity. And I'm convinced God's going to give you what you need to serve his people through leadership. In July, I was um, tasked with leading a, a disaster training exercise in Wisconsin, and I had 60 chaplain and chaplain assistants, um, 40 military, and then Red Cross, a Civil Air Patrol, and Salvation Army. I thought that there was going to be a plan. I would show up, and they would give me the plan, and I would implement the plan. I showed up on Sunday night. I got there late. They were already started, and I sat down. And one of the, one of the evaluators came back, and he sat down and said, um, Chaplain, you're the next speaker. That's the first I'd heard of that. And then he said, and um, I said, so what's the plan? And he looked at me and um, kind of said, I don't know, what's the plan? So my heart sunk. And I had 60 chaplains I had to keep occupied for 40 hours. And, um, and there was no plan. So I, I, um, I felt some anxiety. I went to my room that night, and the Lord spoke to me through this passage. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. And my anxiety went down. Because I said, not about, because my first thought was, I'm going to fail, I'm going to look stupid. You know, I'm, these chaplains are going to be standing around. Because I had to deploy them all different areas. But when, when I began to think about this passage and thought, um, you're here to make them successful, period. And your, your leadership that you've been given is for them, not for you. And it really helped me. I mean, it literally, uh, the anxiety went away. And, and the week went, went well. Leaders lead primarily through words, giving encouragement, giving input, leading meetings, and through service, putting people first, investing in others, praying for others, setting examples. So word and service kind of sum up what you do for the good of others. And you may or may not be appreciated or recognized for all you do as a leader, but leadership is a profound service to people. And um, it's interesting because now, in retrospect, you know, some of those chaplains are, are working, you know, real disasters. So we, we, were, we were training for a disaster, little did we know. And so leading is, is for the good of others. And leading is an act of courage because you're putting yourself out there. You're taking a risk. And people who have not led tend to not understand this well. Followers can gripe. They can forget you're putting yourself on the line by leading them. When you sit down at group and your members sit down and you're through chatting, it's time to start, and they look at you and they're saying, lead us. And for some of you that are veterans, it's no big deal, but, but there's times when you're thinking, oh, no, you know, I'm the leader, and they're looking at me. They, they stop talking about this and that, and they're looking at me, and, okay, it's time to start, now lead. But leading, even with its challenges, when done for the good of others, for the glory of God, uh, can be its own reward. Leading others for their good doesn't mean your job is to give people what they want or demand. Does anyone know the, the, the first recorded words of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of John? It's, it's, kind of a, it's not a trick question, but I didn't know either. I looked it up. Does anybody happen to know what? The back story is, is the, the Gospel of John doesn't begin with his birth. It begins with the cosmic, eternal word of God becoming flesh. And then it goes to John the Baptist, John the baptizer, and he's confessing as Jesus walks by, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of men. And then two disciples of John say, oh, 
And so they start following Jesus. And Jesus turned around and looked at him, and, he, and here's his first words, what do you want? That's his first words in the Gospel of John, what do you want? And it wasn't, what do you want? It was, what do you want? They were a question. So do you think they even knew at that point what they wanted? I mean, they probably had some idea. And they may have thought they, they knew what they wanted, but, but I, I doubt his question made much sense at that point. And I think he was pressing on their ambivalence. What do you want out of life? Do you even know? Do you want what you should want? And the question is still pertinent. It's what we need to ask ourselves and ask our group members. What do you want? And the answer you get may not be what they should want or what they're actually going to get. And they may not say this, but, but what I want is this group to fix me. That's not going to happen. And many of your group members want your group to fix you. More specifically, they want you to fix them. It's not going to happen. And so if you can dispel that myth, then, then you can lower expectation, put expectations in the right place. And then they're going to go, well, what good are you if you're not going to fix me? Another is, I want in-depth Bible study. And, and you can say, that's exactly what we do. I used to say we don't do in-depth Bible study, and that's not true at all. We always do in-depth Bible study. Bible study that's applied to life is as deep as it gets. Bible study that's not applied to life is as shallow as it gets. So if we talk about one verse and we apply it to our lives, it doesn't get any deeper than that. So if someone says, you do in-depth Bible study? All the time. Well, where's your commentaries? Um, We don't have them because we're too busy doing in-depth Bible study. So what should we want to want? Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So we should want to grow. We should want to know Christ and make Christ known. We should want to close the gap between where I am and where I can be. We should, we should want to grow in faith and love. Over and over in the scriptures, in the New Testament, we're encouraged to grow in faith and love. Faith, our interaction with God, love, our interaction with people. So the, the general areas with tons of specific applications are growing in trusting God, growing in loving people. So how do we help people want to want this? And how do we help them do something about that desire? What role does a leader have in the lives of other people? And your calling, your role as a leader is faithfulness, nothing more, nothing less. And the people who are part of your ministry have to take responsibility for their own spiritual growth and what you can do is you can provide the platform, a small group, the logistics, the opportunity, the leadership, the example. But I want you to, this is going to sound harsh, but I'm completely convinced it's true. If a person wants to grow, they will grow whatever does or doesn't happen in your group. If a person doesn't want to grow, they will not grow whatever does or doesn't happen in your group. Fix that fact in your mind. I'm not saying it doesn't matter then what you do. That's not what I'm saying. It does matter because you can whet the appetite of those who are lacking desire and you can accelerate the progress of one who has desire. This is what we're going to train on tomorrow. Reese is going to help us with that. And the training tomorrow is going to, is going to apply to small groups, raising kids, running your business, pretty much everything. No pressure, Reese. My point is that you not take more responsibility on yourself than is warranted. A person who's looking to act outside factors as the key to their own growth my leader, the Bible, the, the book we study, the, the member care, the child care, the snacks, whatever. The person who's looking to outside factors as the key to their growth, they're not going to grow. And even if Jesus was their leader and Paul was their LIT, they would not grow if they had that attitude. And if Jesus brought snacks every week and turned, turned you know, wine into water at your group and multiplied fish every week, they're not going to grow. 
And I say this with all seriousness. Do excellent work, do faithful work, but do not take responsibility that's not yours. Your responsibility is be faithful. With the time and talents and opportunity you have, that's it. So ask your group, what do you want? And if the expectation does not match reality, tell them what they can actually expect. Here's what you can expect out of group. And I'll tell you in a minute what, what they can expect. They can expect to grow. They can expect to close the gap between where they are and the full image of Christ. They can expect this if they believe it's possible and they're willing to exert the effort to see it happen. And that includes showing up and throwing in. So what about you as a group leader what, or, or a leader in training? What do you want? Why are you doing this? And, and I'm going to put some words in your mind. I believe first it's because you believe God's called you here. I, I believe that, and I believe it's because God has called you here. And I believe you want to be found faithful. And you can say, well, my, my sense of call is a work in progress. <laughs> That's okay. So was mine. But I believe God's put a desire in your heart to lead, and that's a good thing. That's a good desire. People need that. People need you to lead. And I believe you either already know or soon will that you're going to benefit more than anyone else from your leadership. Leaders who are faithful grow in their love and grow in their faith and grow in their skills. So what can people expect from your group? What should you tell them? Okay, who's, who's ever eaten at a Waffle House? Raise your hand. Wow, a lot of you have. Who's never eaten at a Waffle House in your life? Okay. So how many Waffle Houses do you think there are in America? Wild guess. <laughs> too many. You can't be too many Waffle Houses. No, I'm not a breakfast guy either. No, too many is a good answer. But how many do you think there are? What's a wild guess? Huh? 50,000. Wow, that would be 2,100. So, somewhere between there and there. So which state has the most Waffle Houses? George, who said Georgia? That's the, that's the right answer, Georgia. How many states don't have any Waffle Houses out of the 50? 25. Half of them don't. So 2,100 are in 25 states. In Houston, in Houston last week, most restaurants were closed, but out of 30 Waffle Houses, how many, how many um, were open the whole time? 28. Two closed their door. So Waffle Houses are known for not closing doors. Once you open a Waffle House... They don't, I don't even know if they have locks on the door. They don't close until they tear the thing down. And they have special plans for storms. Every restaurant has a Waffle House storm playbook for each restaurant with protocols, protocols for how to keep cooking if electricity and running water go out. And it may sound silly, but they are recognized as one of the top four organizations that FEMA can count on in disasters. Who are the others? No? Huh? No, um, no, um, profit, for profits. No, <laughs> Chick-fil-A is good. No, Walmart, exactly. Home Depot and Lowe's and Waffle House. Whole new respect for Waffle House. FEMA, FEMA measures, this is, a tr- this is true, FEMA measures the severity of a storm's damage by what they call the Waffle House Index. FEMA has a Waffle House Index. And they say if a Waffle House closes, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And so the worst disaster possible, maybe in U.S. history, 28 Waffle Houses stayed open. And, and so I was curious, what's the key to this? And it, really fascinated by it. And there was, there's really two keys. One is they keep it simple. They do what they're good at. And they have good leadership and they plan ahead. So they stay on track during the crisis by having a plan. 
and, and, and a Waffle House executives, what happens if, if the employees can't get there? Waffle House execs will, will come in from other parts of the country, find a way in, and they'll roll up their sleeves and start slinging hash. You know, they, they, they figure out a way to get it done. The exec said, we keep it simple. Sometimes we can cook bacon and eggs. That's it. He goes, you know, sometimes people just need bacon and eggs. <laughs> and um, in, in Houston, there were people who, that was the only place in their whole neighborhood to eat and to charge their cell phone. And, and, and so they figured out. So let me give you our bacon, eggs, and I'll throw in toast um, of, of group life. These are the core components of group life. These are also the core competencies of a group leader. You know, how, can, how convenient is that? And they are member care, meetings, and mission. You've not heard that. This is not the first time you've heard that. But we're going to, we're going to, um, Caitlin designed that. Isn't that a cool um, logo thing? Um, but we're going to, we're going to, we, we, this is not something new, but, but we, we want to lock on this because I was asking some folks, you know, what's, what's the core competency of a group leader? And, and they had different thoughts that were good. But I thought, really, no, we, what we want to be good at is, is meetings, member care, and missions. And, and these are not real flashy, but I decided I'd rather have clarity than creativity. There are fancier ways of describing these, but as you get fancier, they get less clear. These are pretty clear. It can feel like leading people is complicated, and it can be. The, the life situations of people can become extremely complicated. Ty's had some complicated situations. But these are the three things we want to try and do as well as possible. And if someone says... But why don't we do this, or why don't you do that? You can just say, if it's true. If it's not true, don't say it. If it's true, say, well, those are good things to do. But these are the three things that God's called to do, and we're going to try to do them as well as possible. And if those three things happen, then the other things that are important, I believe, are going to happen as well. I think we give group members their best shot at closing the gaps between where they are and where God wants them to be. So we're going to give you, we're going to give you some... Um, some this, is, this is not to be cute... I'm not all that interested in, I've given up on being cute, but this is to be memorable. So we're going to give you some, um, some memory aids, and so we're going to give you some M&Ms. And these M&Ms have some, some um, logos on them. So these, this is to be memorable, plus M&Ms are delicious. And so we're going we're gonna to allow you to stay engaged. If you don't like M&Ms, you can, you can um, feed them to the person next to you. So in these little bags, um, if you would open them when you get them, don't 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 sift through them yet. The first thing is um, the first thing that we want to be good at is meetings. So you can go ahead and open them. See if you can find um, one that has. Uh, they don't have the words on them, do they, Brenda? Okay. So see if you can have find guess which symbol. Well, you can. You don't have to guess. It's right there. So never mind. So which symbol represents meetings? <laughs> you don't have to guess at all. You can just find it and eat it. So, did you find one? Anybody not find one? Good. Okay, so meetings don't sound too glamorous. It doesn't even sound spiritual. I mean, we don't even like meetings, do we? I do. I, I love meetings. I say, no, you don't. I do. I like the meetings that I like. I don't like the meetings that I don't like. So let me tell you a meeting I like. During the holidays, my, when my girls are, it's, it's a few times when my girls are all in town usually, we will, we will go get coffee. We will meet at a coffee shop with my three girls. Do I like that meeting? No, I love that meeting. So do I like meetings? Yeah, I like meetings that I like. There are meetings I have to attend that are, that are necessary, but I don't love them. But here's a, here's, a def, here's a definition of a meeting. A meeting is the action of coming together. That's a meeting. 
That's an action of commitment. This is a meeting. If when we go to when we go to the ice cream, that's a meeting. So how can anything good happen between people if they don't come together? And so you say, well, it's not all about the meeting. It's not, but it is because it is all about the meeting because meeting is people coming together. And in our meetings, reflected in the arrows going up and down, and the reason why the arrows go up and down is because in our meetings, whether it's group meetings or one-on-one in coffee shops, we, we want to encounter God together. So the arrow coming down is God's speaking to us through his word, through his spirit. The arrow going up represents us speaking to God, but we're doing that in the context of community. That's why you've got those arrows going up and down. That's it, but that's profound. Encountering God together in word and prayer. So what about the talking and laughing and eating together? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the together part. We sometimes call it coffee and content. We want your group to have these two dials, like an old radio where you're trying to tune it in and you're trying to find just the, the, the clearest sound you can. And one dial is coffee. If you hate coffee, it's just a, an analogy. It stands for the talking part, the hanging out part. And the content stands for the content part. And so you're turning those dials. You're trying to get just the right amount of each. And sometimes you look up and go, you know, we talked a long time and we really didn't get around to business. So, you know, we, 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 uh, we droned on and on about, you know, the sermon, but we really didn't, we're not hanging out. So you just want to find that balance. And what's interesting is Aaron's group is going to have a different, when, Aaron's, when Aaron sinks his radio station in, it's going to have a different twist than mine is, or Christie's is. And um, my, my group met on the back porch because Christie's group was in the house the other day, and, and um, some guys, we, we got through. We started at 7, we got through at 8.15, which is long for us. And, um, and the guy said, is Christie done yet? I said, <laughs> That's all I said. And um, I said, is it 9 o'clock? No, she's not done yet. So well, they, she, has a different, she has a different turn of the dials, but the idea is you want to find that balance. Uh, these kinds of meetings shape our very lives. They impact our wanters. As we encounter God in in-depth Bible study, <laughs> meaning applied, prayer, and, and then through each other, we're learning to want what we want. And so as a result of being together in our meetings, we would hope if Jesus came to our group and said, what do you want? We'd be able to say, I want to know you. And, and, and I want to make you known. It's not complicated. It's, it's transformational. So we're not looking for a, a buzz, a home run, a good feeling in group. We're looking to incrementally close the gap. And you can tell your group that expectation. People going, you know, that group wasn't that great. Why, why not? Well, I didn't feel anything. You know, I, I didn't learn a whole lot. Yeah, but you know what? You showed up and you closed the gap that much. And so, yeah, that was a great group. If you close the gap, that's a home run. Then see if you can find a, a member care. Um, it's too late to, to, for you to guess which one it is because I put it up there. But those are the, 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 I think the member care symbol is pretty self-explanatory. It's, um, in the military, they call it self-care and buddy aid. It's taking care of yourself and taking care of others. Member care. Taking care of each other in ways that transcend the meetings, which is what Ty talked about. It could be mentoring. It could be discipleship. It could be very specific structured. It could just be friendship, enjoying life together. It could be walking through joyful challenges, new houses, new babies. Um, it could be walking through painful challenges, which happens. It's happening more and more in our, in our church. Disease, disaster, death. 
Um, these ladies have stepped up and taken over a group because of their, their longtime group leader is helping her husband to die well. And so they said, yeah, we'll leave. So that's pretty cool. There's no program for this member care, and different personalities will do it differently. But member care at, at the group level is, is within the scope of mostly normal events. So when disaster strikes a community like happened in Houston, like what's about to happen in Florida, here's how it goes. City resources, county resources, state resources, federal resources, and then military, and they call it DISCA, Defense Support of Civilian Authority. And so the idea in an in a emergency is it's always handled at the lowest possible level. And so it's not always possibly handled at the lowest possible level. So, so it goes up and it goes up. It's always possible to handle the lowest possible level. But sometimes the city can't handle it, the county, the county can't handle the state, and the state says help, and then the federal comes in, and then, and then the guard comes in, and then sometimes it's too big, and so they say active duty military get involved. So it's not always possible to handle member care at, at, at your level. So you say, well, how do I know? Ask us. Don't be afraid to ask us. Um, and, and this church, you are my priority. You say, really, over all the other people that come? Yes, you're my priority. And, um, and you're our, the, the whole staff. I'm speaking for our whole staff. You are our priority. Because you're taking care of people on the front lines. And the more you take care of people, the more people are cared for. And my, my calling, our calling, is to ensure that people are taken care of. My calling is not to take care of everybody. You know, and, and the scriptures say that the pastor's calling is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And if, it's my, if I think it's my job to take care of people, I'm not going to be able to take care of very many people. But you take care of a lot of people. I, I, I support an active duty chaplain out in Virginia. His, he's a, a, a Father Butler, Tim Butler. And I met him a year ago. We, we met in, um, out in D.C. And I said, he, was a little, he didn't know me and he never had had someone do what I do for him because he hadn't been in that job before. And I said, let me, let me explain what I do. I don't work for you because I, he, I, I'm not under his chain. But I said, my job is to make you successful. And he kind of bristled and said, well, I don't really want you to make me successful. He's an older senior chaplain. He's a Catholic priest. And I said, Father Tim, you do want me to make you successful. He said, because if you're successful, all the wing chaplains underneath you are successful. If they're successful, all the staff chaplains underneath them are successful. If they're successful, then the airmen they serve are successful. If they're successful, the Air Force is successful. If, if the Air Force is successful, then America is safer. I said, so you do want me to make you successful. And he said, you're right, I do. And so in terms of member care, I want you to know, and, and, and those of you who have been around for a while know this, you know, if, if Russ calls me and needs something, which rarely happens, the answer is going to be yes every time. If Rusty calls me, and, 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 and if, it's, if, it's, if it's not happened, well, it's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen as soon as I can make it happen. Because um, if you're taken care of, then more people are loved and served and helped. And so my point of that is, is do, do, do member care at the lowest possible level but do not be afraid 
to ask for more help. And it may be other groups getting involved. It may just be, um, which has happened sometime, we tell you, stop doing as much as you're doing. That's the help we give you. Quit working harder than the people you're trying to help. That's never good. And then mission. Find your, uh, find your mission M&M, represented by the arrows moving out horizontally. This is primarily evangelism. I mean, that's the Great Commission. But it's also in, in being involved in a community in ways that, that indirectly take the gospel to people, you know, um, build credibility for the gospel. It's, it's also just you being, like Ty said, you being who you are, where you are. And that's the Great Commission was literally, as you go, make disciples. It was, we translate it, therefore go, but, it's, but in the Greek it's literally as you go, or since you're going anyway, make disciples. So we can't lose sight of the fact that the gospel is the core of our mission. And if, you're, if your group is kind of like, like um, Michelle's and your guys' group's kind of built around a mission, um, some, some, some groups... Or have specific service projects, you know, Christy, they did the Lord's Diner, and different people, and that's, so it could be very specific, very planned, um, but it could just be the fact that the people in your group live in the community, and in that community where they go to school, go to work, and there's unchurched lost people, and so that's the mission. It can be or- organized, it can be organic, but it has to be intentional. So I, I, I've got a, a guy I've known at the base for 15 years. We've been friends. He's not a believer. His wife's not a believer. We went to a dinner, sat next to them at a dinner, and Christy got to know his wife, and now his wife and Christy are friends. They go to dinner together. And then we're, so we're trying to get more believers in their lives. So we, we found out that you know, they're, they're, they're very intelligent people, and they like Thai food. So Christy said, hey, hey and Greg, do you want to come over and be our friends? And A's going to cook Thai food for him, and, and Greg's smart, so he can talk to him. And so it's great. <laughs> but the idea is, is just, I mean, that's, that's, that's just, I know, I know him, and, um, and I know Greg and A, and hey, that might be a good fit. Let's get them together. And so uh, part of having a missional vision is, is just, is just making connections with the people you already know and trying to get people involved in their lives and, and then being open to people coming to your group who, who mess it up. You know, they make it, you got it set, everything's kind of going along, and then here comes this person who, who messes it up and um, being open to that, being open to pastoring. You know, one of the best forms of advice I ever got from my mentor was, Terry, if you're going to pastor, you've got to be ready to pastor people you can't pastor. I didn't know what he meant, but now I know what he means. And... Um, so have a multiplication mentality. You can hold on to your friends, and you should, but you can't hold on to your group being just as you want it to be. There is pain and joy in multiplication. If, you're, if your group doesn't multiply, doesn't add anyone new, um, fruitfulness is God's domain, faithfulness is yours. Concern yourself with faithfulness, which brings us back to, um, to center, to leadership in the Waffle Houses. Waffle Houses are there for communities like Houston. At times, it's the only place people can go. And the reason that it doesn't happen accidentally, it happens because of leadership with a clear vision. And I, I you know, I, I'm not a breakfast, big breakfast guy. I've eaten at Waffle Houses twice. I'm not a big fan. But I, I, I'm a fan of Waffle Houses. I can't say I'm going to eat there, but I'm a big fan of them. So I probably will eat there. Because in disasters, they know how to care for people. 
And, and it's their simple plan combined with intentional leadership that equips them during dark sky days and blue sky days. And so at the center, see, see if you can find the M&M with, um, with leader on it. I'm sure you can. I think it's a white one. Is it a white one? I think it's, we, we made it that so it would stand out. Leadership sometimes has a bad reputation because sometimes leaders are self-serving, but whenever good things are happening, good leadership is there. And this is without dispute. God has always used leaders to accomplish his purposes, Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, judges, pastors, elders, teachers, government authorities, parents, group leaders. God uses you to lead his people. And you don't have to do it all, mission, member care, uh, meetings, but, but your, your role is to, is to help make sure it happens. At the core of those circles is leader. And, and your most important role in my mind is to seek to reproduce your leadership in another person. Multiply your life in another person. Invest in your LIT. And it, it, that doesn't mean, if you're an LIT, it doesn't mean your, grooters, groot, your leader is necessarily in front of you. It could be you and your LIT, your peers. But, but it may be, maybe they have something to teach you in regards to group leadership. The world is desperate for leadership with character and competency and commitment. So invest. In my mind, your primary role is, is to multiply your life in, in one person. Your secondary role are, is the other, are the other three things. Don't try to make people in your image, but encourage and challenge them to close the gap in their life. Be faithful. God will do the rest. And the great thing about taking that role as a leader is when you look in the mirror and say, uh, who am I? I can't do this. That's tremendous because God has called you to do it. And so now you're motivated in a new way to step up. And that's a good thing. That's a very scary thing, but it's a good thing. So maybe you're wondering, who, who am I that I would think I could, I could or should reproduce myself and someone else? And I understand the question. And I understand the struggle, but let's finish where we started. Let's go to 1 Peter 4.10 again. Let's, let's, um, let's read that together. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that, that's a staggering passage, and it's encouraging. The question, who am I, is the wrong question. And, and Sunday night in Wisconsin, I sat in my room, and I was like, who am I? And the Lord said, that's the wrong question. The right question is, is have I, God was saying, have I put you here? Yes. Do they need to be led? Yes. Okay, then go, go lead. Go lead for my glory and for their good. And what a great God who would use someone like me, who would use someone like you. And we need to look to him for strength. If anyone serves, you should do it with the strength that God provides. And if you feel completely capable and competent all the time, you're, you're probably missing the point. If you feel less than capable and less than competent, great. Do it with the strength that God provides. 
I have to consider his glory and the good of others, not my own sense of worth or adequacy. It is your responsibility to lead. It is your opportunity to lead. And it rarely feels glamorous when you're doing it. It's just God honoring and people blessing. So let me pray. Tomorrow it'll be interactive. Tonight was, I wanted to, to hopefully cast vision for you tonight. Tomorrow will be training and interactive. So I hope, I hope you'll plan on being here. The, the stuff that Reese is going to train us on, and, um, and I spend some time with it, it's really good. It, 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 helps, it helps us in a lot of areas. And in terms of helping people close the gap, helping people want to want, it's very, very good stuff.